0: How do we decouple DEI from capitalism in some ways, right? Like how do we decouple it from being a a business case and actually be at the root of wanting to promote inclusion and equity and
1: change within an organization? And so in order to really adequately apply that justice lens, we have to dismantle. And that is a very frightening and overwhelming place to be in for a lot of people, because that means maybe our organization doesn't exist anymore. This isn't a compliant,
2: oh, we got to take our annual unconscious bias training, (laughs) or this isn't like a, oh, well, we should be nice to each other and play in the sandbox together.
3: Possibility is really within the human race. We're not saying, will it be perfect? We're saying, is it possible? And it's only possible if we want it to be. So I always throw the question back at the folks. Is like, are you ready to make it a possibility?
4: Hi everybody, I'm Felicia. And I'm Rachel. And welcome to the SGO podcast, the She Geeks Out podcast. This season is unlike any that we put out so far. What does the future of
1: work look like when we're thinking about diversity and inclusivity and equity? And what does it look like for different groups of people? We got to interview so many incredible people. You'll also be hearing some little snippets and interjections from our facilitation team.
4: You'll get their perspectives on what DEI really looks like in the workplace from a practical, actionable standpoint. So let's go.
1: Rachel, did you get that time machine ready? Because today we're looking to the future. We asked some of our guests and facilitators what they think the future of DEI in the workplace looks like. We also talked to our facilitators about the barriers to a truly equitable workplace, if equity is really possible, and why they keep doing this work. Here's SGO staff, DEI programs and training manager, Fatima Denka, to get us started.
3: What is next for the DEI world, DEI work? I've been in that space of asking myself as well, right? What does the future look like? And the future looks like many things depending on the choices that we make now. And I've talked about somatics a lot and it's something that I'm still practicing and trying to make part of not just my DEI work, but also my personal work, right? Like how am I more in tune with my body, with the world, with nature to further support the work that I'm doing, to further support conversations, to be a catalyst for folks, whether they're thinking about internal changes or organizational change, wherever they are. I think the future is moving towards a more embodied and holistic lens. Next, we'll hear from Dr. Erica Powell.
2: Part of why I stay in this work is because I want to be part of the people on planet Earth that are helping bring back power and helping to empower folks. Because this is hard work, this is soul grueling work. Those of us who are in it know there are some days you're like, I just want to close my computer. <laughs> indefinitely. (laughs) But I feel like this work empowers both groups, both folks who hold power and privilege and dominant identities, as well as folks who maybe hold marginalized identities. We don't often frame the conversations that way. Like that that's actually usually it's explicitly stated or kind of like the narrative is, hey, we want to make it better for our marginalized groups. And we do. We do. And there is something really powerful about wielding power responsibly and recognizing it. So in some ways, I feel like my work is all about empowering folks for themselves as well as for others. And for me, that is the lens that I come to this work through. I wish that folks could see it in that way, that this isn't a compliance, oh, we got to take our annual unconscious bias training, (laughs) or this isn't like a, oh, well, we should be nice to each other and play in the sandbox together. What I hope to leave as a legacy behind, what I choose to stand for is that we need to live on this planet we call Earth and in this galaxy we call whatever we call this galaxy, but that we live in this Earth and in this time in a way where we feel empowered and we wield our power responsibly because not only do the humans of planet earth need it, but the earth itself, if you track the climate change and the environmental justice and the poor little animals, we don't actually have a choice to live in such a disempowered consciousness anymore. And that's what I hope folks take away from this work
1: when I lead a session. Here's Karina Becerra and Naomi Seddon with what they think the future holds.
5: I think that this is it. I think this is our new reality. I don't think that we'll ever go back to your nine to fives, crazy commute, insane amounts of travel on a plane. I think that if COVID has taught us anything is that we can do our jobs from anywhere at some flexible times. I think that folks are going to demand a lot more from their employers and from their management and even from their peers. I think that people will put up those rules for themselves. Like these are my rules of engagement, if you will. Like this is what I commit to do on your behalf. And I think people will hopefully appreciate hours outside of work that much more. I also feel like organizations have to make flexibility a top priority and wellness as well. And I think that it's only going to get better and it's only going to grow because people are going to demand it.
6: COVID has taught us that the lines between our personal life and our working life have almost completely disappeared now. And yes, people are starting to return to offices But I'm not sure that we will ever go back to the way things were, that clear division in that line for a number of reasons. I think employees are now demanding more in this space where they're standing up and saying we're human and when we bring ourselves to work, we don't switch off. We are who we are. And so, I think for a number of reasons, the lines are becoming blurred between those two issues. But as a result of COVID, we've also seen some really sad and very real statistics around things like domestic violence, there's been an increase globally. And so I think this is another issue that really is not spoken about enough. Let's go back to Fatima.
3: When DEI was formerly a thing, a lot of us track it back to the 1960s. And in my opinion, DEI work has always been around because the social justice work and human rights movements are very foundational to what it is that we're trying to do in the workplace. And so with that said, we've seen the transition from like talking about cultural competency to multicultural workshops and trainings to just diversity. And then we added the I and then we added the E and now we got a J and got an A. And we are literally moving towards a holistic approach because we know that we cannot work in silos. We know that if we are tackling one issue, we have to tackle all these other issues because ultimately- We're going to have to tackle them, right? And so the future of DEI work is asking ourselves, how do we use a holistic lens? How do we make sure that our companies, our workplaces or institutions are not perpetuating some of the harmful effects of white supremacy, culture, capitalism, patriarchy, and all of these things that have really moved us in a way that is not beneficial at all. Like we know this. We have the data. We need no more data. We don't need data anymore to know whether or not white supremacy, culture, patriarchy, you know, sexism, all of the isms. We don't need to know if it it doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. And so being intentional in that way is the future, in my opinion. And I also think we're going to have to always bring the head and the heart in the work. What I currently see in a lot of corporate spaces is this need to only focus on the numbers, this need to check things off, right? So even this idea of like taking workshops, it is amazing, right? Because you do need targeted workshop content to help your folks grow within an organization. However, if it's disconnected from everything else, there's no future of DEI work at your job. On one hand, you want to say, yes, I want to hear your thoughts. Let me work with you. But after doing that work time after time, years after years, it's no longer fruitful if our North Star or the goal that we're trying to reach is being inhibited by certain ideologies, right? So that's the tension to get us to the future of like liberatory practices. So when we talk about the future of DEI work and where we need to focus more on naturally the question becomes like but is this really possible all these words sound pretty and like somatics and liberatory teachings practices and butterflies and rainbows (laughs) like that's cute but like when it comes down to it it's hard Fatima you know like is it really possible (sighs) not getting emotional so the question of if things are possible ultimately is in our hands, right? I often think about the structures and the systems that I live in now. And somebody or a group of people were like, is it possible for us to build a capitalistic, patriarchal, sexist, racist society? They probably didn't use those words, but they said, is it possible for me to be seen as a powerful, dominant person, AKA group? And they said, yes, it's possible. And they said, well, how are we going to do it? And I think so many times we get caught up on, well, it's so hard. It can't because we've been in this for so long. But we haven't been in some of these structures that long either. And if somebody was like, hey, is it possible to defy gravity and put a plane in the air? <laughs> right. Like, if you heard that when it was first proposed, you'd be like, are you good? <laughs> you know, with the <laughs> you know, everything okay in your life? Did you consume something? You know, you would ask those questions because you'd be like, that's not possible. Possibility is really within the human race. We're not saying, will it be perfect? We're saying, is it possible? And it's only possible if we want it to be. So I always throw the question back at the folks is like, are you ready to make it a possibility? Because the truth is people make up systems. Systems are not in silos, right? Like Yes, we talk about the cars we've been dealt with, meaning historically the systems that our ancestors have created and we've adopted. But at the same time, if we pause and ask ourselves, what is the future that we're trying to create? We have no problem creating drones. We have no problem creating things that we never thought would exist. That takes a lot of energy. That takes a lot of research. That takes a lot of skills. Why don't we have that same energy to a liberatory future? That's my question, right? And part of the answer is that we're comfortable. We're comfortable, especially those of us who have privileged identities, right? To change the system takes a lot of work, takes a lot of energy. It can be tiring. But if we're trying to see the transformation that we're dreaming of, we have to actually try and we have to move towards that. So what does an organization look like that's moving towards that? I always point folks to Adrian Marie Brown, because first of all, the human is a gem, okay? She's like, amazing. In her book, the book that I'm specifically referencing is Emergent Strategy. And she uses the concepts of like nature and who we are as humans and how people gather and how they grow to use that as a mirror to talk about the journey of creating radical organizations. What I've learned from her writing and teachings, and from other folks' writings and teachings is that we're not trying to get to perfectionism. And I think that's what's stopping us from making change because we're so conditioned to think if it's not right, if it's not a formula, if it's not quantitative data, oh my gosh, how can we achieve it, right? And I'm like, but we can, cause we've done this before. And so organizations that are trying to move in that space can take a moment, right? And think about what are the aspects that we currently are dealing with. I have a friend who works for an organization and this organization, is a flat hierarchy, they try to support people in their movement, justice, liberation. And when you go on their website, it's like everybody is the co-director, right? And that is like interesting to imagine in their thought pieces around whether flight hierarchies work or not. Beyond those articles that say whether it works or not, the fact is this organization is trying it, right? This organization is like, hey, we're all going to get paid a similar amount because we're all doing hard work you know what I mean so we would have to let go of some things ultimately if we're talking about the future of DEI in the workplace trying to get to liberation whatever that looks like we're gonna have to let go of certain things that feel very comfortable we're gonna have to let go of instant gratification there's so many things that we're accustomed to and so part of it is also self-work and then the external pieces as well
0: So I'm Kyra Vera. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I'm a DEI facilitator at SGO. I think what I am personally seeing with clients and in my workshops right now is how do we keep the momentum going? Like we have a diversity equity inclusion committee. We have someone who's full-time job this, or a full team, but like they're the only ones doing the work. Like how do we continue to spread it out throughout the organization and i think it's been really powerful to even think about the last 10 years that like we didn't have Like, I didn't know what a DEI officer really was 10 years ago, right? Like, I didn't really know what a DEI facilitator was in some ways, too. And, like, now to be in this role and have that, but thinking about, like, what comes next, I think it's, like, how do we continue to keep the momentum going, especially in our political climates, as it does feel like we are taking steps backwards? And, like, how do we keep people engaged in wanting to continue this work and not just have it be a fun hashtag or a perk of your office. Like how do you keep it within your organization and like a baseline for your organization? And I think the future, Oh, I don't know what the future looks like for DEI. I think that's something I continue to see a lot of discourse on the internet about is like, has DEI become too corporate? How does it become more grassroots again? So I think that that's a lot of what the future I see the conversation being around is like, how do we decouple DEI from capitalism in some ways, right? Like how do we decouple it from being a quote, again, a a business case and like a way to make money and actually be at the root of like wanting to promote inclusion and equity and change within an organization, not just so an organization can make money. How do we bring the power back to the people really is what I think the future will look like and that people will demand more. I really thought that would happen during the great resignation. And now that we're coming towards a possible recession, I don't know. But I think that Gen Zers in particular will be a lot more demanding when it comes to Diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and what they want to see the work look like. So I'm really excited to see how they push the needle forward in ways that maybe we haven't thought about yet. My name is
7: Rachel Sadler. I'm a facilitator at She Geeks Out. I identify as a biracial woman and I use she, her pronouns. I'm not sure what the future of DEI looks like. One part of me sees us repeating the same cycles we've been fighting against for decades. The backlash against DEI initiatives by politicians, as well as individuals who have been so heavily indoctrinated to support white supremacy culture and capitalism is super discouraging. However, this new generation of folks coming up are not with this foolishness. They are speaking truth to power with their whole chest and I am here for it. They are mobilizing, voting, protesting, boycotting, all the things. So the auntie in me is super proud of these folks coming up. And that provides me with some
8: hope. Hi, I'm Dr. Victoria Verleza. I use pronouns she and her, and I am a facilitator here at She Geeks Out. To these conversations, I bring a variety of identities. I am a white autistic woman who happens to be queer, and I am Jewish, and I'm neurodivergent, and I have a lot of intersecting identities. The next frontier of DEI work for me is having an intersectional holistic approach for such a long time, DEI work has simply been focused on race and gender and sexuality. And for me, moving forward, the future is intersectional and it's non-binary and it's including disabled folks and it is centering the voices of the most marginalized. And I think for such a long time, For such a long time, DEI work has centered the feelings and the learning of the dominant group, so specifically white men. And for me, we need to move beyond that. The future is centering the most marginalized feelings and voices. So we are truly creating an equitable workplace so that we're not just perpetuating the same system. I also firmly sit in the camp of we probably should challenge capitalism a little bit more, how productivity shows up and how we are feeding into systems that we don't necessarily all of us believe in. And how can we start challenging those on a daily basis? And I think that we, SGO, do that from our own little corner of the world. And I think we're a really good model for what that looks like holding two truths at the same time and like really thinking about these things from a holistic perspective and thinking through work-life and life-work integration and not necessarily balance and how does that involve or interact with DEI because it does and how do we honor the whole being and not just the worker bee.
1: That was SGO DEI facilitators Kaya Rivera, Rachel Sadler, and Dr. Victoria Verleza talking about the future of DEI work. DEI work is ever evolving. And so in my opinion, I think the next phase of DEI work is really incorporating the justice aspect to it. So DEI as a field has evolved dramatically since I've been a practitioner and I've been Involved in this work for over 10 years now. And when I started doing this work back in the day, we were really focusing primarily on diversity, a little bit on inclusion. And we talked about it, or I talked about it from the angle of D and I, so diversity and inclusion. Then a couple of years in, equity kind of started making its way into the mix and so started shifting to talking about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's still very much something that's very prevalent today in the work that I do. I talk a lot about DEI, and that's my primary focus. But even in the last few years, I've seen additional shifts where now we're also talking about things like belonging as part of the conversation. And so some practitioners even have included this in their titles. So you'll see titles such as Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging, or the like. But I think the next big piece of the puzzle that's going to come up and get more popular in the next few years is really thinking about that last step in the process, which is justice. And that's really the outcome that we're looking for. So diversity, equity, inclusion, I think about are the steps to get to the outcome, which is justice. And I think that this one's going to be a really challenging step for a lot of organizations to take and actually even for individuals as well, because... When we start looking at work and different aspects of work and people using a justice lens, sometimes that involves the idea that what we have existing in place is inherently unjust. And so in order to really adequately apply that justice lens, we have to dismantle. And that is a very frightening and overwhelming place to be in for a lot of people, because that means maybe our organization doesn't exist anymore. Maybe it still exists, but it looks very different. Maybe my role exists, but I'm not in it anymore. And so all of these things start to come out when we start thinking about justice. I think that it depends industry by industry as well, too. Because in areas like uh, the nonprofit world, for example, in education spaces, they're already talking about justice, but in spaces that are a bit more corporate, it's not part of the conversation quite just yet. Or it is part of the conversation, but it's not something that, Companies are focusing on in terms of having justice efforts or um, you know social impact metrics that they're really abiding by. But I think that's going to be the big piece coming up for me, in my opinion. Is that's the future? Is really thinking about what are different ways of doing this work? These ways that we've been involved in for the past hundreds of years, maybe they don't work anymore. Maybe we need to think about a new paradigm. So that's what I will anticipate seeing in the future. We also asked them about the barriers they see to equitable workplaces.
0: This is one I could talk about all day again. So many things, the systems we have in place are just not feasible when it comes to accessibility, truly being flexible, for parents, for caregivers, whether they be for children or other folks in their lives, I think that it's really difficult to push forward a truly equitable organization when the system's in place like above it when we think about how business works, how capitalism works, or don't allow for that to truly happen. I feel like it's a continued give and take when we talk about uh, an organization being equitable. So I think that, that's a big barrier. I see, I see generational differences being a big barrier, thinking about where millennials are at in their age versus like boomers, et cetera. There is a lot of generational differences when it comes to having these conversations. And I think even from millennials to Gen Zers, there's a huge gap there between like what Gen Zers want in the workplace and what millennials have kind of sucked up and continued to work under and really trying to think about how do we bridge those gaps. And I think senior leadership too, like when we think about power and privilege, I personally feel as though as you get closer to power, you see less of what... Maybe entry level or folks beneath you and within an organization are talking about or asking for because you are away from it. You're not necessarily working with teams of people who are on the ground doing these things or at their desks doing these things. So you're further away from it. And I see that that's where the big gaps in equity is right now. And when it comes to DEI initiatives, that's where I see a lot of the hard conversations happening is trying to get senior leadership on board to continue to push the needle. And again, I think making that business case for it, I think is really difficult. And then when we talk about ERGs, diversity committees, I think unions come up a lot, too, in these conversations. And I think a lot of organizations are afraid of unions right now. So I think that that's another thing that's really stopping as a barrier for a truly equitable workforce and organization to work for everyone and be inclusive of everyone.
7: Unfortunately, there are still so many barriers to truly equitable workplaces. Old ideologies of the way things have been and therefore should continue to be still permeate so many organizations. Women are still getting paid less than men in the majority of industries. We are still having to address unconscious biases that keep people of color out of leadership. Issues around accessibility and ableism come to mind as there's still this very typical idealized employee folks have in their imagination that does not allow them to consider anyone that deviates from that imagined ideal.
6: Some of the
8: barriers that I see to truly equitable workplaces is being firmly grounded in what used to work and not thinking about innovative practices or innovative policies or Intersectionality. I mean, we really truly cannot keep doing things the way that we used to do them. The workday, for example, is based on a man's hormone level, right? So as we think about the workday, men's hormones reset every 24 hours, women's do not. So, how are we inadvertently excluding women by not thinking through our working cycles. For me, the barriers are continuing just as we've always done it. We really need to start challenging the way that we've always done it. And if we are not challenging the way things have been done, I think that will be the biggest barrier to equity in the workplace. We aren't thinking about things from a holistic approach. Like if we continue to Silo these concepts rather than thinking about them as their containered thing, all of them together in this intersectional lens, we're going to consistently perpetuate
1: what has been done before. It's a lot. So with all that stands in the way, what hope is there for the future? Why do we keep doing this work? When I think about abolishing inequality in the workplace, again, I harken
7: back to Gen Z. It's wild that they have to clean up so much mess that generations before them have allowed to clutter the proverbial workplace. But these folks have the time and energy to let us know that they are not about to endure the same shenanigans of their forefathers, mothers, sisters, cousins, friends. These folks give me hope. So much of me wishes our generation or my generation could have paved the way for them without so many figurative potholes and detours that we've had to leave behind. But if what I see today is any indication of the future, I'll let my hope slide just a little bit higher.
0: I think Gen Z for me is the ticket home. I think generationally too, seeing the light bulb moments when I'm on a zoom workshop with folks who identify as older and they're like, I didn't understand this concept before, but like now having had this hard conversation, like I understand it more and I want to do a deeper dive on my own. So seeing that like small change is possible. I think I used to get really tied up in like, we need big changes now. And like that isn't really feasible within an organization, unfortunately. So being able to see small incremental changes within a workshop or through consulting work and coaching has been really helpful and kind of my light and optimism. Um, and then I think seeing things become a little bit more mainstream, for better or for worse, like seeing that. Salaries for jobs are on job descriptions are really important in our moving forward and being the norm. Seeing that people put their pronouns in their emails, like I think those small little glimmers of hope that have become, I don't want to say checklist items, but they more and more companies are doing them and requiring them and like doing pronoun check-ins when you're doing leading meetings, things of that nature have become more commonplace. Whereas I think about even five years ago, I worked in an LGBTQ center and I was the only person to share pronouns during meetings. And like now coming to the more corporate side, that seems more commonplace to be doing. And that's given me like a little glimmer of hope that like things are actually changing as things become more mainstream and we continue to have these hard conversations. And I think... After doing workshops and like seeing clients wanting to come back and continue the work has also made me very optimistic and given me that glimmer of hope too, in the sense of like, oh, that workshop might've been really hard, but like people are getting stuff out of it and they want to continue the hard work. Having done this work for a few years now, I think about some of the small changes I've seen at organizations when it comes to like inclusive interviewing, like getting rid of pre-work or homework throughout the interview process or compensating for that, I think has been a big thing um, that I've seen change, especially at previous organizations I worked at. And then thinking about like SGO, I think the generational differences and like seeing those movements and those light bulb moments happen keeps me on my toes. One, when it comes to how I approach this work and not being kind of stale and stagnant of like how I talk about power and privilege and really forcing me to think about things from others' perspectives and like how I can really facilitate a conversation around those things and get them to a place where they're like, oh, I might be uncomfortable, but I'm not in my panic zone when it comes to these things. Like I know we're not saying like, oh, X, Y, and Z identifying group is terrible. We're like having a hard conversation about the systems that are in place and historically what has needed to change. And I think that those have been kind of the great moments for me. And again, like how even after hard conversations or seemingly hard workshops, folks come back and they're like, we want more like this. It's just a starting point. And we really saw that throughout our workshop and we want to continue to have these conversations. I recently did a webinar for a pretty big organization where that happened and they're hopefully coming back for more. And that like, has been like kind of a highlight for me the last couple of weeks of like, oh, wow, like we did a good job of highlighting the importance of this topic for an hour and they want to continue this conversation and want to hopefully do it in different sorts of ways, whether it be short conversations, webinars, et cetera. And I think that that's been really cool to see how people want to interact with our work, despite it maybe being hard or difficult or getting pushback even from their employees at times. So I think those have been the little kind of optimistic pieces when it comes to how I approach this work and constantly keeping me on my toes when it comes to how we present this work or like I might present it one way and someone would be like, hey, I have a question about this or hey, I have a little bit of pushback on it and like having me having to think about, oh, okay, like I actually haven't thought about it the way that this person's presenting it. Now I, I can think about it this way and be prepared for the next time that I do this workshop and be able to meet people um, where they're at in some ways.
8: Bright spots or optimistic glimmers that come to me, or that I see when working with folks, is folks are willing. So I think about recent facilitations I've had and interactions with clients I've had, and individually, folks are engaged and invested in abolishing inequity in the workplace. And we know that. So, are organizations to some extent. For me, the bright light or the optimism comes from the fact that individuals are engaged. It might not be 50, 60, 70, 80 people because you self select into a program talking about race and it's only 10 people. But for me, my approach to this work has always been if you can impact one person and the one person's thinking, that will have a ripple effect. So, if 10 people self select into a workshop, for example on race and racism in the workplace that's 10 people that will tell one other person or two other people and then that ripple that impact can be so big so for me the way that i like to think about the work that i do is from a one person perspective or a one organization perspective if there is just one person that i can plant a seed with things are going to change and for some folks it's daunting it's it's not enough positive impact. But for me, if I lose sight of the one, I'm going to lose sight of the whole goal. So for me, it's those, that one person in the workshop, who's like, wow, I've never thought about this. And now I'm thinking about how I show up differently. That's a win. Or for me, when somebody uses their pronouns for the first time in a session with me, and is like, you know what, I've never done this before, but I'm going to do it because I understand it's important. That's a win. Breakthroughs come from when folks say, you know what, I've never really considered how my whiteness shows up as a leader, but now I'm thinking about it. That's a win. And so as long as I hold on to those things, I know that someday it might not be tomorrow. It might not be in my lifetime, but we're working towards abolition.
1: Again, that was Rachel Sadler, Kaya Rivera, and Dr. Victoria Verleza. DEI work is hard. (laughs) It's not something that you can take lightly. It is work that is deep. And it is work that takes a lot out of individuals. And for me personally, it's work that is very personal and can be a lot. But that doesn't mean that there aren't bright sides to it or that there aren't light bulb moments or that there aren't moments of joy as part of this work. And honestly, that's what really keeps me going because otherwise, I probably wouldn't do this work because it is so challenging sometimes. So what I really live for is what I call those light bulb moments. That's when I'm in a training or in a discussion with somebody and I can see the wheels turning in their head. I can hear them struggling or working through a shift in thinking. I can see them changing their behavior in real time and that's powerful because that is exactly what we're aiming for. Sometimes when we get into this work or when we get into trainings or conversations, what kind of turns people off is the realization that it's so big. There's so much to do and There's changes that need to happen at systemic levels. And that is a lot to consider because we're a lot of times in general, not just in DEI work, but across the board, we're taught that we can change at an individual level and we can change at an individual level when it comes to DEI work, but we can't change everything that we want to change just by changing ourselves. So I think that can be overwhelming, but the first step does come with the individual. And so for me, when I'm talking with somebody who maybe has never ever thought about what it even means to be equitable at work before, and they start coming up with examples, that's amazing. That really energizes me. When I talk about why pronouns are important, And why we should be respecting people and how they identify, and not just talking about it as a preference, but as a reality of someone's existence. And then the next time I talk to them, I see that they've added pronouns to their email signature or to their Zoom name. That's powerful because those are slight, small moments, but they're moments that are moving the needle and they're moments that are shifting because it's something that takes time and it will take a lot of these little, little moments that build to larger shifts. I was doing work with this group of people where I was a little bit concerned because this group was from an industry that has historically been very resistant to having DEI related conversations and to doing anything around DEI work and I was going into it with some some trepidation because I knew that this was going to be a challenge. And what really energized me was I was going through these trainings and folks were really quiet. And so in my head, I was thinking, this isn't really landing. They don't care about this stuff. They're just here because they have to be here. And I sent folks into some smaller breakout rooms to continue some discussions around some of these points that we were discussing and bringing up. And so I decided to jump into some of these breakout rooms to listen to what people were talking about and honestly, to make sure that they were staying on track and not talking about the weather or or other stuff that didn't relate to the training. And what really just made me feel so energized and pushed me to rethink how I was even approaching the training from my own emotional standpoint, was listening to these people, how they were making connections and they were in real time considering things that they had never thought about and tying it back to their work and understanding and starting to realize why this was important. And these were people who are very black and white. They're very by the books. This DEI work is seen as as fluffy and a nice to have, not an imperative. And in real time, they were talking with each other. They were calling each other in. One person had said that he had never really thought about identity. And he didn't think he had any disadvantages and he was just going through life. And one of his colleagues called him in and and pushed him to think differently about their work and their experiences because he said, you know, that's not true. And don't you remember when this happened or this happened and these people saying things. and, And those moments are what I really live for because that is exactly why I do this work. Because I want to help people think about things in a different way. And I don't expect anyone to go through a training or conversation with me and go back to their work and completely upend everything and completely throw everything out and start over from scratch. But I want them to make some change or even if it's a change in thinking, I want them to think about what we're talking about. And that's how I view my work is I view my work as I'm not trying to come in and change your mind necessarily. That's obviously part of it, but it's not my end goal. Because if you're not ready to change your mind or to change your way of thinking, then That's not my job because I don't want to push you to where I want you to go. What I am doing, and this is how I think about it, is I am creating a space where we're going to use this opportunity and use the space to get into the mess of it. We're going to talk about the things. We're going to explore ideas. I'm going to show you options and alternatives and give you different ways of considering a problem or a situation or a person that maybe you've never thought about before. And then you get to decide where you want to go with all that at your disposal. And a lot of times the metaphor that I like to think about when I think about the work that I do is I'm building a doorway, I'm building the door frame, I'm building the door and I'm hanging it on the hinges, I'm installing the doorknob and I'm opening the door for you. But it's up to you to decide if you want to take that step and walk through the doorway. That's not my job. My job is to create the situation that will allow you to go through, but I'm never going to push someone through that door. So I'm going to meet you where you're at. And I'm going to invite you to consider coming along with me to further your learning journey, but I'm not going to force you there. And so... For me, when I'm holding that space and I'm building that doorway and I'm giving you some options and I'm allowing you to think about what paint color you want to paint the door and then you take that step and you peek through the doorway, that is exactly why I do this work. And so I think that it's really... It can be a huge breakthrough where people go back and they say, Guess what? We had this conversation with you and we completely overhauled this part of our organization. Amazing. That is absolutely what I would love to see happen. It can also look like we had this conversation with you and... And I'm going to think about managing my employees a little bit differently next time performance reviews come around. That's also great, too, because it all adds up together. And so, those light bulb moments, those moments of joy where I can see that someone came in with fear and they were resistant and they were angry and they didn't want to talk to me. And then they came back the next week and they talked more or they said they were thinking about what we talked about or we we had a moment of connection those are the moments that i live for and honestly that's what makes it worthwhile because otherwise this work is a lot and so those are what keep me going
3: when i think about why i keep doing this work honestly it's because there are a lot of great things that have happened within my journey right And beyond my journey, there are a lot of great things that various activists, DI practitioners, social justice folks have created that have allowed me to have language to even talk about what I'm talking about right now. Right. And so there are so many seeds that have been planted that have created beautiful, beautiful flowers and just like an amazing forest that all of us would love to witness and be in. And at the same time, the moments that I think about the most is sometimes those one on one conversations or those breakthrough moments that happen during workshops, right? So I remember the first time I started working at SGO, I was doing an in person workshop for a client, and it was a mix of folks from different backgrounds. It's predominantly white company, but age, demographics, there was a host of folks, right? And so I was giving a workshop on unconscious bias and microaggressions. And I remember at the end of the workshop, a lot of folks were coming to me, right? They were sort of like, I've been living for this amount of years and I've been part of so many movements. I marched with Dr. King." I mean, like folks were just like, this work isn't new. And one, it's beautiful to see that we're not stopping this work, regardless of what formation it's now taken in the workplace. But two, even with those folks who've been part of social justice and human rights movements, that workshop was eye-opening for them because they're also evolving and growing in their understanding of certain concepts, right? And for me, that is a beautiful thing to hear because when you're doing this work, it can feel sometimes draining or you can feel like there's no change being made. And when you hear somebody say like, yeah, we were the ones on the front lines, right? Right. And I also just learned something new and I'm taking this back to my granddaughter. I'm like, first of all, praise to you because I'm here because you marched, right? I'm here because you did the work. And that connection is beautiful. I think the other piece of it is hearing from folks who might be skeptical to do a workshop with us, right? Or might be skeptical in the beginning because of what they've heard about diversity, equity and inclusion, or maybe they've had a negative experience doing DEI work, right? And so folks sometimes are honest in the beginning of my workshops or they might say, you know, the first three slides, I get into it and somebody might be like, this doesn't make sense, right? Like, why are we doing this? And it's like, okay, I've been here before. I ain't scared. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I'm like, okay, let's go a moment. Like, I appreciate your question. We've been in this for 45 minutes. I'm not here to change your mind. I'm just here to offer tools Let's keep going through this. And if you still have questions or if it's not making sense, pause us, right? Like this is your time as much as it's my time. And I think when you do that for folks, you put the power back in their hand. People get afraid when they feel like you're taking their power away or their autonomy away. When you say, hey, these are some awesome ideas. I'm gonna leave it here on the table, right? You get to choose what works for you. And what I've found some of my most beautiful moments in facilitating have been those moments where someone started a workshop or a program with me and they were just like, this is divisive. I don't know why this makes sense. And then at the end of that workshop or at the end of that program, they're just like, this is like the best thing I've ever heard. I've ever gone through. Like I'm leaving this workshop, you know, feeling like a better person. I can't wait to talk to my niece about this because she's been trying to tell me about why gender pronouns are important. And I didn't listen to her, right? Like we're not just changing workplaces, right? We're not just planting seeds to change workplaces. We're also helping people go back to their communities, go back to their personal lives to go back and say, I know I didn't honor your pronouns, babe, but like I I just took that workshop. And if you want me to identify you as day, then I'm gonna identify you as day. And if I mess up, forgive me, but I'm gonna do it, right? And that is what causes culture change. That is what, what causes culture shift those little moments, right? So when we talk about change, it is incremental. It is very small. It, nothing grows overnight, <laughs> you know what I mean? Unless if you got gnats in your house. <laughs> it's just like all over the place. I don't know how those things work. But you know, th- those are the things that keep keep me going because ultimately I wanna li- live in a world that is beautiful, As and, and, and this world is beautiful. Yeah, we're talking about things that are harmful, but this world is really beautiful. And how can we leverage our superpowers and our amazingness to continue making it beautiful for whatever other physical forms manifest here, right? And that—that that is what pushes me. That is what makes me hopeful. That is what gives me excitement to just see the change happening.
4: Thanks so much for joining us this season. As you and I both know, abolishing inequity at work isn't easy, but this work isn't done alone. If you're looking to further your own knowledge and gain support alongside other incredible people, we've got your back. Join our community and get a welcoming, built-in support system grounded in the values of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You'll have access to bonus episodes, additional resources, courses, webinars, coaching, and more. Check it out at shegeeksout.com community. This episode was written by Vienna DiGiacomo and Fatima Denke produced and edited by Vienna DiGiacomo, hosted by Felicia Jadzak and Rachel Murray. The guests featured in this episode were Erica Powell, Karina Becerra, and Naomi Seddon. Our facilitators were Fatima Denke, Rachel Sadler, Dr. Victoria Verletza, Kaya Rivera, and Felicia Jadzak. Huge thanks to all of our guests this season, Amaya Urbarena, Anna Whitlock, Dr. Becca Shansky, Belma McCaffrey, C.A. Webb, Charis Loveland, David Tedeschi, Elba Lazardi. Elisa Campos-Pretor, Dr. Erica Powell, Aaron Leroyd, Ginny Chang, Gray Alam, Himajina Magada, Dr. Hong Depp, Jason Fuchs, Karina Becerra, Melanie Ho, Naomi Seddon, Reem Papagiorgio, Rhonda Vichay-Sharp, Sarah Tracy, and Snidus Valdetier. Please don't forget to rate, share, and subscribe. It makes a huge difference in the reach of this work. See you next season.